All right, it's time to invite all the kids to come on up front and have a seat right here. Even if you're visiting with us this morning, feel free to come up and join us. You can bring somebody along with you if you'd like. Come on up, find a place to sit. We're going to squeeze forward a little bit here, guys. Squeeze forward. Lots of people to fill in this morning. All right, find a place to sit. Good job. All right, good to see everyone this morning. Now, to start with this morning, I want to show you something, and I want to see if you can guess what it is. All right, you ready? So I have a little bag with stuff in. Who thinks they know what that may be? I heard sand, rice, no? Not rice. Seeds, good. Seeds, and these, this is actually grass seed, right? Grass seed, yeah, good job. So if I wanted grass in my yard, what would I need to do with this seed? I'd need to plant it, right? And after I plant it, what else might, what might I need to do to it? Water it, yeah, plant it and water it. That would, that would be good, right? Now think with me a second. Did I create this grass seed all by myself? No, I didn't do that. Who did that? God creates the grass, right, and the grass seed. Did I create the water I would need to, to water it? Did I create that all by myself? No, I didn't do that. Of course, God did that, right? I didn't do that. Can I make this seed grow all by myself? Can I do that? I can't do that either, can I? Who actually makes this seed grow? God does, right? Once it's planted and watered, God does that, right? Yeah, and he uses the rain and the sun and the dirt, all those things to help, right? So God is the one who provides the seed that I can then plant, right? And God provides the water that I can use to water the seed, but only God can make it grow, right? Now, if I plant the seed, does that make me somebody really special? No. If I water the seed, does, and, and am I pretty great then? No, that's not it. But but God does it, right? God is a great one because he causes the growth. That's similar to how things work in our spiritual lives and in the church, right? God has given us his word. God has given us his word, the Bible, right? And then God provides pastors who can preach his word and teach it, right? And as we preach the gospel, as we preach God's word, God causes growth in his people, right? So think about that this morning. I'm kind of starting things off, and I'm kind of planting some seeds right now, right? I'm kind of getting things, those seeds in the ground, getting it all ready. And then in a little bit, Pastor Jeremy's going to come, and he's going to sort of water those seeds, right? He's going to add some teaching and explanation to God's Word and things like that, right? But can Pastor Jeremy and I, can we force spiritual growth to happen in your lives? We can't do that, can we? We can plant some seed and we can maybe add a little water, but who's the only one who can cause spiritual growth in your life? God, yeah, only God can do that, right? So we're planting some spiritual seeds in your lives and we're adding some water to those spiritual seeds, but only God can cause that spiritual growth in your life. And we're going to trust him to do that even this morning. Does that sound good? Can you trust God this morning to cause spiritual growth in your life? Yeah, we can trust God in that. 
So you guys can go back and have a seat, and Pastor Jeremy's going to come and keep watering the seed. I don't know if you noticed, but we had a new member of our music team, and you did a wonderful job. Pretty voice. Thank you for singing so well for us. All right, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 to 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 to 9. It's Mother's Day, so I uh, have to go at fathers, right? So get ready, boys, huh? Let's go. Uh, The... The letter of 1 Corinthians is written in response to what Paul had heard uh, from his own people that he sent and then also from others. And one thing that he heard again was that they were dividing. And they were dividing under which pastor was the greatest. Um, And so Paul in this opening section, which ends with at the end of chapter 4, is doing two things. He's defending his ministry and he is rebuking them for their argumentativeness and their fighting and jealousies and rivalries and divisions. You've heard that before. This section, these few verses, are some of the most important verses in the Bible concerning how you're supposed to evaluate church ministry. If you want to look uh, anywhere in the Bible and understand how this is supposed to work, these are the few verses. This is it. These verses are big. Now, most of you have been in the church or a part of a church for a long time. There's 52 Sundays in a year, and you've done that for the last 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. And so it would probably be helpful for you to take a look at these verses. What is supposed to be happening here? Who, how am I supposed to evaluate the pastor? How am I supposed to evaluate the pastor in light of God's people and so on and so forth? And then, of course, in verse 9, what does it mean that we are God's field and God's building So this is a helpful, biblical reorientation to church. What are we doing here? What's supposed to happen? Who's going to do it? Let me pray. We'll read, and then I'll explain a bit more here. Father, pray your blessing on this. It is true. Unless you give the growth, it doesn't grow at all. And so, God, we look to you and ask your sovereign blessing and mercy on the preaching of your most holy word. In Christ's name, amen. As I said, the first section of this letter runs through chapter 4, two purposes, defense of Paul's ministry and a rebuke of the foolish and sinful division in Corinth. And our verses are utterly paramount to those two arguments. He's getting to the heights of his argument here. Um, And that is so because they're dividing underneath pastors, so he wants to talk about pastors. How should you think about pastors? How should you evaluate them? And then, of course, how should I think about pastors in light of God? Now, first, we have to deal with the context here. You have heard these verses, if you've been around the church, at any, for any length of time, frequently. And particularly, you've heard these verses in the context of evangelism, right? You, you do an evangelistic kind of outreach maybe at the school, and uh, you're not seeing a bunch of fruit, and you just say, well, we're just planting seeds. Heard that before? You've heard that before, right? right. right. Maybe you go on a mission trip, and uh, you're over there, and you're 
handing out gospel tracts or something or doing the gospel and you just find comfort in the fact that if God doesn't grow, it doesn't happen. I'm just here planting seeds, maybe watering seeds, that's it. Now, this does have to do with evangelism, but that's not the primary context here. The primary context is preaching on Sunday morning. That's what's going on here. If you remember earlier, um, Paul in verses 1 through 4, talking about in verse 2 especially, I'm, I'm here, I came before and I could only feed you with milk. That, that is, in his preaching, he was very simplistic. He didn't go into much depth because they were new in Christ. But even now, five, six, seven years later, they're still not ready for meaty, hard depth of preaching. And then after our verses, beginning of verse 10, which we'll get into next week, Paul talks about laying the foundation as a preacher of the gospel. So the context of these verses is this. It's not mainly out there. It's mainly talking to Christians who come to church on how to think about church. Now, again, that doesn't mean you can't take the principle of God alone gives the growth out there, of course. No doubt. We'll apply it to moms in a moment. Moms want their kids to come to Christ. And moms have to remember they are not the primary power in their child's life to save them eternally. God is. You can take that home with you. That's great. But the first application is here. It's in the context of the local church. You have been called to Christ, and in that you have been called to be part of Christ's body, the church. And in the church, God in heaven... Uh, has determined to put over you elders and pastors who have real authority over your life. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Getting this straight, getting uh, pastoring and pastoring in light of God in the right order. So another way to say it is, if you remember, this entire section begins with a rebuke of their lack of growth in Christ. And their lack of growth in Christ is intimately connected to their faulty thinking about church, their faulty thinking about pastors, their neglect to give God the glory that He is due in their own conversions and growth. Instead of growing up into Christ, they're fighting over which pastor is better. They haven't progressed beyond junior high. And so God wants to grow you. God wants you to be different five years from now than you are now. And the main place that he has ordained for that to happen is here. This is very ordinary. God always works through very ordinary, simple, seemingly nothing things. God loves it that way. He uses ordinary preachers from Randolph, Wisconsin, son of an electrician, five foot six, 165, bald, right, to bring eternal change into your life. And we're nothing, and God is everything. And so the main way God has ordained your growth is this. And he wants to help you think about that. So this, this is about growth. Now growth here, uh, verse 6, I planted apostle water, but God gave the growth. End of verse 7, only God gives the growth. Again, the context in growth here isn't evangelistic numerical increase. That's included the main reference to growth is you becoming more mature in Christ. 
It's you're identifying your sinful patterns and behaviors, repenting, and looking to the Lord over time under the preaching of God's Word and growing. It's what we call sanctification. And again, God has, I don't know why, ordained that the main method that's going to happen is here. All right, so let's apply this to moms. Moms, I think this is especially true of moms, I think more so than us men because we're thick-headed. Moms, as I'm around them, never think they're good. Never think you're good enough. You could always done it better. There's always another mom out there who's better than you and it and you, and you never feel like you're getting to where you should be. You're failing in your parenting. You're failing in your discipline with your children. You're failing to help them become more mature like you want them to be. You have a lot of pressure on you. That's not bad pressure. That's, that's good. You want to grow. Now, moms are also, of course, the busiest human beings on the face of this planet. Right? Right? Uh, we recently installed two beehives. And the workers in those beehives are all females. They do all the work. They carry all the burden. Moms do that. They carry a lot of burden. They are like little small business owners at home in charge of the raising up of little human beings with eternal souls. They have a great weight on them, and they consistently feel, um, at, at, at the best, unexceptional, and at the worst, a downright failure. And so you want to do something about that. You want to find a Bible study maybe. You want to do some superhuman thing to get better. I just want to encourage you. The simplest thing you can do is just come to Sunday morning. Just sit and hear God's word preached. Make your life much more simpler. Bible studies are great. Women's conferences and retreats are excellent. Go to those. But this is the simple, ordinary way that God has given you to see the growth in your life that you want to see over 5, 10, 15, 20-year period. This is it. Just make it simple for yourself. Stop trying to put pressure on to do all this extra stuff. Yes, read your Bible. Yes, pray. But you're not going to have the time that most of us do to do that. Just come here and let God's Word wash over you. So, uh, growth in this passage is mainly what we might call spiritual growth, growth and maturity in Christ, sanctification, And God has ordained that it happens in the preaching of the local church. Now, we see very clearly that the human preacher doesn't give the growth at all. Twice we read, God gave the growth, and only God gives the growth. Paul writes this simply because it's true. And he wants to make sure that God's people rightly evaluate the preacher that God has sent them. He wants God to get all the glory... And the preacher to be seen as what he is? Nothing. Verse 7. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God is everything who alone gives the growth. So God gives the growth. Of course, the analogy here is agricultural. Fitting this time of year. Farmers are out in their fields. Got a late start this year because of the weather. Maybe they already have the seeds in, but they've tilled up the soil. They've planted the seeds. Maybe they've fertilized. Maybe they're watering. But, as Pastor Jeff did well, once the seed's in the ground, it's completely up to God. If you have your Bibles open, flip back to Mark chapter 4. 
In Mark chapter 4, Jesus gives four consecutive parables, three of which all deal with this theme of seed and planting and growing. The third parable, beginning in um, verse 26 to 29, is very similar to what Paul is doing here. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is a man who should scatter seed on the ground. Now here's the preacher, maybe referring to Christ himself mostly. He sleeps and he rises night and day. The seed sprouts and it grows. He doesn't know how. The earth produces by itself. That little word in the Greek, by itself, is actually divine automation. (laughs) It's divinely automatic. The picture is here. This farmer goes out there and does his darndest to plant it, to have the soil rich and fertile and watered. But then after it's planted, what does he do? Where's Terry? He takes a nap. Because it's out of his hands. He can't do it. He can't control the weather. He can't control the sunshine. He cannot control the process by which that seed dies and grows. It's completely out of his hands. So what does he do? He sleeps. There's a theology of sleep for you. So moms, apply that to yourself. Take the pressure off. Come and hear God's word preached. Come and bring your children They're not going to be perfect. We do not expect your children to be perfect here. We just want them to sit with God's people and hear God's word and then go to sleep. God alone can give the growth. That's it. The work that you as moms and dads do here on Sunday morning is wonderful. To have your children sit here and teach them to hear God's word and sing with God's people and go through all of the training and disciplining and embarrassment that you got to go through. It's, in, it's incredible. And this is the main thing God has given you as a parent to do, to see your children grow in the Lord. So go to sleep. Take a nap. Trust in the Lord who alone can give the growth. Now, uh, go back to 1 Corinthians and go forward, if you would, to chapter 7. One of the things that you and I can do with this kind of thing is, is, okay, it's in God's hands, it's under God's sovereign control, and that freaks some of you out because you're control freaks. You want to be in control, right? You're not. Quit thinking you are. You are not in control of it at all. And then because you realize you're not in control of it, you can't give the growth, you can't do it, you're nothing, I'm nothing as a preacher in this. Then you begin to look at God and you begin to evaluate God and you begin to think, is God generous? Will he give this growth? Isn't he stingy? Can I trust him? I trust myself more than I trust God in heaven. Is that you? Right? You look at God, you look at yourself, and you go, I wish I was the one in control because I can trust myself. Can't trust God, I don't think. There's unanswered prayers. There's people I love who aren't in the Lord. And then then you come to your children. There is nothing as important as you know as moms and dads in seeing your children in Christ. You would suffer eternal punishment away from the Lord if your child would be in, the, in Christ and in heaven, wouldn't you? Moms would do that. Dads might not. Moms would. I know you would. 
you would lose body parts for the sake of your child's eternal well-being. Can you trust God with that? Because you can't do it. He alone gives the growth. Can you actually trust God? In chapter 7, verse 14, you have this instance of... uh, Maybe two couple, two people, man and a woman who weren't in Christ, they get married, and then let's say the mom becomes a Christian. That, that, that happens frequently. And, and now the mom is worried, what about my kids? Their dad's not a Christian. Right? He doesn't come to church, or if he does, he's totally half-hearted and disinterested. And at home, he's not leading any kind, in any way spiritually, or not doing family devotions. He has no hunger for God. How can I as a single, not a single mom, but a, in the spiritual realm, as a single Christian mom or dad, what am I, how am I supposed to evaluate my kids here? And Paul answers this very helpfully. Oops, I turned back to chapter 3. He answers it very helpfully in verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. So there, there you have a one who's a Christian, one who's not. How am I supposed to think about my unsaved spouse coming to the Lord? Otherwise, your children be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. I don't have time to explain this, but you should be sitting up straight because you're reading something that you've maybe read before and now it's hitting you. What does that mean? How, how is my unsaved spouse holy? What? What does that mean? Or how, how are my children, with I as the only Christian parent, what does it mean that my children are holy? Well, you, you know what the word holy means, right? Set apart. That God gives unique privileges to the children of believers is the point. God has a special concern for the children of believers. You see this throughout the Bible. Deuteronomy 6. How many generations does God show steadfast love to? Oh, come on. That wasn't rhetorical. you got to know this verse if you're a parent. What is wrong with you? A thousand. God is showing salvation, favor, kindness, grace to how many generations? A thousand. And you think Him stingy? You can't trust him with your children? As it is, your children of one saved parent are set apart uniquely by God. Now, that shouldn't at all take your foot off the pedal of the duties that God has given you as a Christian parent. That should cause you to press them down full force because God is for you. God uses ordinary human parenting in order to accomplish this praying for your children. The best story that I know of, of a child who came to Christ through the tearful praying of his mother is Charles Spurgeon. Please look it up on the internet. Charles Spurgeon's dad, you know Charles Spurgeon? English preacher called the Prince of Preachers, maybe the greatest preacher in our kind of more modern area, era. Excuse me. Uh, his dad was kind of an itinerant pastor. His dad was gone all the time doing ministry. His mom raised him. And one day... As the dad was leaving, he was convicted that he was just putting all the weight on his wife and he felt guilty and so he, was, he came home. And upstairs, all the kids were gathered around his mom 
And there was Charles Spurgeon's mother praying over his children, playing something. I, I didn't write it down. Something to the effect of, God, if my children do not come in Christ, I will be the first judge against them. She's just praying this bold prayer for their, his children. Moms, pray for your kids. Get on your knees and plead with the Lord. That's what God wants. Discipline them. You've got to spank them. There's my reference to spanking in the sermon. There might be more. Uh, there's plenty of children going to hell because they're just not spanked by Christian parents. It's that simple. Take them to church. Get them preaching. Get them in Awana. Get them around God's people. God's Word. Just do the ordinary things of parenting. And then, otherwise, your children be unclean, but as is, they are holy. God blesses to a thousand generations. And you remember the second half of that. How many generations does God discipline when the parents are uh, unfaithful to the Lord? Remember that? Right? To the third and fourth generation only. When you read that, you typically think ill of that. That's meant to give you uh, favor. or It's meant to give you confidence. Why? Because God's only going to let a, a, a two or three or four generations go before he brings them back. Isn't that good? Isn't God gracious to you as moms and dads? Now, again, the main context here is the church. Can we trust that God is going to grow us? Yeah. There's nothing he's more committed to, right? God is the God who created us. God is the God creating us knowing that we rebel in Adam and sin. God is the God who worked for thousands of years, hundreds of years to get it ripe time to bring his son who would die on a cross in our place for our sin, for his people. He established the church through the preaching of, of Peter. The church flourished and ran over all over the Roman world at that time. God is growing people. This is what he's most committed to. God has sent his spirit to make this happen. You can trust him in this. You can trust him in this. All right, dads. So, oh no, uh, we'll get to you in a moment. Um, So, what do we see so far? We see the context is local church. The context is growth of Christians, sanctification of Christians over time. And the main ordinary means that God has given us is the preaching of his word. God is the only one who can bring the growth. But how do you think about pastors then? How should you think about pastors? Well, Paul begins by asking that question. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Now, if you remember the history to this church, Paul started the church, Acts 18, if you want to check it out. Um, After a year and a half there, he left, and Apollos... Sometime later, took up the pastoral mantle for Paul. So Apollos was Paul's successor, pastorally. And so in verse 4, we see the church dividing up. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, I'm of Jesus, the really holy spiritual people that nobody can stand. right? And then Paul says, okay, if you, if you can't give us that kind of credit, if you can't divide, how should you think of us? What is Apollos? What is Paul? They're only slaves. That's it. That's all they are. They're only the ones that I have assigned to go and broadcast my seed. That's it. They're just day laborers. Right? They're unskilled workers. That's all that we are. <laughs> right? Apollos or Paul planted, he came there first and planted the gospel. 
Apollos came along and watered it, but only God gave it growth. Our church begun out at Fort Wilderness. Some seeds were planted out there. Pastor McKenzie came, watered those. Pastor Boomer came, watered those. I've come watering. Who's given growth in your life? How many years of faithfulness has God given to this church and you don't give him the glory that he is due, do you? Think of it. Late 70s till now, all that we've gone through, all the fighting because of all the stuff back in the 80s, the difficulty of my predecessor, all of this stuff, God has been utterly faithful and used it all to do what? To grow you. Who gave that? God. So, verse 7, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gave the growth. We are nothing in comparison with God apart from God. Pastors are absolutely useless, which you already knew. A pastor could do this all day long, preach the best sermon, the best illustrations with the most power. You could see lots of people coming, but if God isn't actually giving real, deep-down transformation, it isn't happening. It is not at all based on the ability or eloquence or anything of the pastor, but only God. But only God. So, now, dad, or husbands, dads, um, we don't talk like this uh, much anymore, uh, but they used to refer to husbands and fathers of the pastors of his home. Heard that before? You guys are like shepherds over your little flock there at home. And so the principle here is equally applied in your home. The main thing I know that wives and mothers want most from you is for you to take up your pastoral, husbandry, fatherly duties with zeal and not abdicate them and not be passive. To not let the weight that God has placed you slide off onto her. This is the greatest failure of husbands and fathers. We are so stinking passive. We do not do the hard work that God has given us to do. We come home and we let it still fall on our wives. And and it it is a burden that they are not made to carry. We are supposed to act like men. When you get home, your second and more important job begins. Your wife desperately needs you to do the work that God has given you that he'll bless in growth. Now, you are, as a husband, the first pastor, the pastor of the front lines for your wife. In Ephesians 5, husbands are told to sanctify their wives by the washing of the water of the word. There's a pastoral charge to husbands. You are to pastor your wives. Now, the thing that we as men frequently do is we are afraid of our wives. Right? You're terrified of your wife. You are. She's much better at words than you are. And she can crush you like an ant. 
and you're stumbling around wondering what just happened. You're laughing, but you know it happened, maybe this morning. Right? And you know what your wife needs you to do once? She needs you to be tough. She actually needs you to stand up and not lay down again. She actually needs you to make a decision and stick with it. She needs you to make a decision of leadership and through all kinds of love and sacrificial service, demand that they follow you. So children, this is your job. You are to listen to your daddy. If they tell you to do something, it's yes, sir, yes, yes, daddy, and then it's done. There's nothing you can do that will bless your mommy better than you listening to your daddy. And men, learn how to use an authoritative voice with your children. Don't try to convince them. Don't try to talk some sense in them. Don't let them ask the question why. You know that they don't want to know the information, right? They don't. They don't want an answer from you. They want delayed dis- uh, obedience. They want disobedience. That's what they want. They're wicked little buggers. <laughs> and you were too. Right? So don't argue with them. You tell them what to do. And then as they get older, hopefully they've learned enough respect that you can then talk to them like an adult. But when they're five, you're just telling them what to do. And your wife will bless you. She will love you. You know what she'll actually do? She'll start listening to you because you've taken responsibility. Authority always flows to those who've taken responsibility. Right? The reason your wife probably isn't giving you authority because you're often giving her the responsibility. So take it. All right, and then, of course, you're the pastor of your children. So pastor them. I'm not at all trying to get off the hook because this text is, frankly, mainly talking to guys like me and elders and pastors. Hopefully we are doing our duty here. And if we're not, please pray for us and let us know. Our, in a very real way, your spiritual life hinges on the earthly sense, mostly on pastors and elders. And who is sufficient for these things? My gosh. Uh, Samuel Johnson, the great English author, um, English, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Public figure, uh, legislator. Uh, He was talking about his pastor and said, there is no job I would least like to have than that one, to be accountable for all of these souls. We take that very seriously. All right, so what about you? Paul gets to the church in verse 9. We, pastors, are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. That, those two phrases, you are God's field, you are God's building, is meant to communicate to you great confidence and trust and assurance. Who is more attentive than a farmer over his field? You ever talk to the farmer about their fields? It's really boring. Because they'll go into crazy kind of depth about the makeup of the soil and the temperature and this little part over here and this little part over here. And if you go there, it's a little different than over here. I mean, farmers live and die with their soil. They know it in and out. How much more God over you, his field? Does not Christ himself say he knows the very hairs on your head? This is supposed to communicate the great attentiveness of God to you, his field. 
How about a building? Architects and carpenters. How attentive are they to the building, drawing of a, of a building? I mean, their name is stamped on it. I, I worked with a carpenter. My dad was an electrician. They are so crazy, precise in a building. They're so attentive to it. Everything right in the right place. 16 inches on, stud, on center for each stud, right? Everyone in its place perfectly. And if it doesn't work, they tear it all out and they do it again. How much more God for you? You are God's building. He has designed you. He is building you in His Son. You have His full attention. Don't neglect the kind of care, the kind of protection, the kind of attention, the kind of love that these two little phrases washes over you. You are God's field. You are God's building. He'll never sell. No one can ever take the title. He'll never go belly up. He always has exactly what is needed for you. He will never let you go to disrepair through neglect. He'll never allow an evil tenant to move in and harm you eternally. You are His. We are His. The you there is plural. Us. Pine Grove Community Church. We're going to vote here shortly on a new building. Can that comfort you? Who are we? God's field. We're His building. Let's pray.